you for downloading the Two Cities Church podcast where we are pushing back darkness by spreading the good news of King Jesus. And now, here is this week's message from Pastor Jeff Struker. Hey, we're going to see a passage of scripture today that describes in vivid detail some intense suffering. So really what we're going to do is we're going to talk about suffering today. Not the topic that everybody wants to hear on a Sunday morning, but this is just where we are in the Bible. We're studying through the book of John and we're in chapter 11 today. And I want you to know something about suffering right out of the gate. You see, suffering is the great equalizer in human history. You can't get enough money, listen to me, you can't make enough money that you can buy your way out of problems and you can live a life where you're never going to have to experience suffering. No human being will ever amass that kind of money. You can't be strong enough. The world's strongest man can't avoid it. You can't be fast enough. Usain Bolt can't outrun it. You can't be powerful enough. The most powerful leader on the planet cannot escape suffering. What I'm trying to describe for you today is suffering is part of this universal human experience because we live in a broken, sinful world. So all of us are either going through it right now, we just came out of some suffering, or God forbid, you're going to go through some suffering in the future. And it never ceases to amaze me how many people are unprepared when suffering comes. I want to blame this on those prosperity gospel preachers. I like to call them false prophets who try to teach you that if you pray hard enough, bad things won't happen to you. I really want to slap those guys on the side of the head because there is no biblical evidence for that. But the truth is, when I look at my own life, and when I see how some Christians respond to suffering, it usually goes down one of two ways. Suffering is so difficult, and they are so unprepared for it, that, listen to this word, it shipwrecks their faith. And their faith is never the same again, because they went through something that they weren't ready for. But not everybody goes through that kind of suffering and throws their hands up and walks away from the faith. Some people go through that kind of suffering and their faith comes out much stronger on the end. It seems like you have these two extremes. It's either shipwrecking people's faith or strengthening their faith. And I really believe that if you're going to be prepared for suffering, my responsibility as a pastor is to prepare you for the moment that suffering comes. If you're going to be prepared for suffering, you got to know what the Bible says today. In fact, I'm going to put it on the screens for you. If you hear nothing else from me today, I want you, when you wrap up this sermon, to be absolutely convinced of this. Suffering teaches us one thing. I know I wrote the number and not the word on purpose. Suffering teaches us one powerful lesson about King Jesus that I'm convinced you can't learn any other way. We mere mortals on planet Earth are going to have to learn this lesson through suffering, and I don't really believe, I wish we could, but I don't really believe we're going to learn this lesson any other way than through suffering. Have I got your attention? You want to know what that lesson is? 
Does any, thank you, James. Does anybody else want to know what this lesson is? Okay, good. What we're going to do is we're going to pick up in the Bible in John chapter 11. If you've got the mobile app open, just go ahead and click on the today's sermon passage. And the first thing that you're going to see is how Jesus comes near in the middle of suffering. Now, if you're writing notes at home, why don't you circle the word near? Because I really need to explain exactly what I mean by this word near in just a moment. I'm going to Read the Bible out of order on purpose. I don't ever do this, but today I'm going to change the order of this passage on purpose because there's something that I think will just jump off the pages of the Bible if I do this. Now, if you were with us last week, Pastor Troy started the discussion about this family, two ladies and a brother, Mary, Martha, and a brother by the name of Lazarus. Lazarus gets sick. Mary and Martha send a message to Jesus because they're all really tight with Jesus. And they say, hey, Lazarus is sick. And Jesus, I don't know what you're doing, but you need to stop. And you need to come immediately because he's really, really sick, like on his deathbed sick. And Jesus intentionally drags his feet and doesn't show up for four days. When he shows up, Lazarus is already dead. And these ladies are distraught. And they're going to learn something about Jesus that I am convinced he cannot teach them. They would not understand any other way than accept this incredibly painful moment where they wanted Jesus to show up and to heal their brother. And he didn't show up and he didn't heal them. Let me tell you what the Bible says for us in John chapter 11, starting in verse 28. Having said this, this is Martha speaking to Jesus. And when she's speaking to Jesus, she says, Jesus, I believe, I believe in you, that you are the son of God. Having said this, she went back and called her sister, Mary saying in private, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. I got to stop for just a second, because if you were with us last week, you're saying to yourself right now, hold on, Jeff, you just missed a huge part of scripture. Yep, going to cover that at the end. I skipped over it on purpose. And if you were with us last week and it felt like Pastor Troy just left you hanging right in the middle of the sermon, right in the middle of the story, like cliffhanger, I did that to you on purpose. I asked him not to tell you the whole story, because I want you to see the second half of the story. Mary and Martha are broken in suffering over the loss of their brother Lazarus, and they are about to blame Jesus for this. And you know what? To some degree, they're right. Let's pick up where I left off. As soon as Mary heard that Jesus had come, as soon as Mary heard this, she got up quickly and she went to him. Jesus had not yet come into the village, but he was still in the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw that Mary got up quickly and went out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to cry there. As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. I need to tell you, this is not falling at his feet in worship. This is falling at Jesus' feet, absolutely broken and in distress. She falls at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And when Jesus saw her crying, 
and the Jews who came with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Will you say the word snorted out loud? Like when you sneeze something out of your nose because there's something inside of you that's making you wretch. It's the word snorted. Say it one more time. Jesus snorted. That's the exact uh, description of what's happening here when he sees this pain and suffering around him. And so Jesus asks, where have you put him? He said, Lord, they told him, come and see. Then the Bible describes the son of God who is broken and hurting because the people around him are broken broken and hurting when the Bible tells us that Jesus wept. And so the Jews said, see how he loved, see how Jesus loved Lazarus? But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? Look, the people in the crowds are convinced that Jesus is a healer. His disciples are convinced that Jesus is a healer. Mary and Martha are convinced that Jesus can heal. And the thing that's convincing them is what we just read a couple of chapters ago in John chapter 9. A guy who was born blind has been healed and given his sight back. If Jesus can heal a man and give him sight back, certainly he can fix somebody who has disease. Everyone around him believes that Jesus has the power at this point to heal somebody who's suffering and has disease. But I am convinced nobody understands who's really standing in their midst, not even Mary and Martha, until we get to the end of this story from John chapter 11. Jesus shows up and there is nothing but sickness and suffering and sadness And what the crowd is saying is, I don't understand why Jesus wouldn't have showed up earlier and stopped his good friend from dying. He has the power to heal somebody from disease. The Bible's just showing us another vivid example of this sin-sick world that we live in. Listen, ever since Genesis chapter 3, ever since our first father committed the first sin, This world has been spinning out of control. There is sickness, there is disease, there is suffering all around us. Sometimes that suffering is self-inflicted, but every time suffering is sin-inflicted. Meaning you live in a sin-sick world and this world is going to throw hard times your way and maybe you didn't do anything wrong and you don't deserve it. That's just because we live on a broken planet. But sometimes this sin-sick world is the result of our own self-inflicted problems. Like I want to tell the people that have been smoking cigarettes like 20 packs a day for 50 years, don't get mad at God when you get lung cancer. It's not his fault that you got lung cancer. That one's kind of on you. And this passage reminds me of my second favorite quote of all time. So you guys out there know that I'm a collector of quotes. I can't really afford to collect anything else, so I collect great quotes. My favorite quote of all times comes from a U.S. president when he was speaking in France more than 100 years ago when President Teddy Roosevelt gave this citizenship in a republic speech, and there's a part of that speech that's referred to as the man in the arena quote 
my favorite quote of all times. My second favorite quote of all times comes from a very famous actor, believe it or not. Probably one of the most famous actors of all times, a guy by the name of John Wayne, who when he was speaking to a crowd of people one time and he was talking about suffering, John Wayne made this brilliant theological statement. He said this, life is hard, suffering, but it's even harder if you're stupid. That's the famous quote. And sometimes the suffering that you're going through is completely self-inflicted. Every time we experience suffering, it's sin-inflicted, meaning Lazarus wouldn't be dead right now if our first fathers and you and I hadn't committed sin. Death is the just punishment for sin. And Jesus took his sweet time, and Jesus didn't show up to heal him. And now Lazarus is dead, and Mary and Martha, these good friends of Jesus, are broken over the suffering that they're going through right now. And I need you to understand, not only is Jesus near in the middle of suffering, look up here for just a second, church. He cares. Please don't ever believe this lie that comes straight from hell, that when you're going through hard times, it means that God doesn't exist. Because if he existed, he would make all of the hard times go away. Please don't ever believe this other lie that comes straight out of the pit of hell, that when you're going through hard times, it means that God exists, but he doesn't love you. Because if that lie were true, when Jesus is going through the physical pain of the cross, it would simply say that God didn't care about his own son. We just live in this broken, sinful world, <clears throat> and suffering is going to happen. And when it does, I need you to know that Jesus is near to you right in the middle of that suffering. And just because you're suffering, please don't ever think to yourself, I guess God is mad at me. I guess God hates me. I guess Jesus doesn't care about what I'm going through right now because I think that's what Mary and Martha, I think that's what was going through their minds when they were suffering. We'll pick up where we left off in verse 38. Then Jesus deeply moved again. He snorted again, so distraught, so disappointed, so frustrated at this sin-sick world. He's deeply moved again. He came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it, kind of to cover the entrance of the cave. And Jesus says, remove the stone. Now Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there's already a stench because he's been dead for four days. There's two things that I really need you to understand about what you see on the screens. One, this is the hot desert, and there's no ventilation. Can you imagine what it smells like in that cave right now? And Martha is getting a bit embarrassed. In fact, most Bible scholars will tell you the reason she doesn't want the stone to be removed is because the smell would embarrass her, embarrass her family. Just Jesus, just leave them alone because I'll be embarrassed when people smell what comes out of that cave. And the fact that he has been dead four days in Jewish Theology means the spirit has already left the body. No one, not God in heaven, can do anything about what happens next. Jesus, it's too late. You waited one day too late. There's nobody that can fix this now. Jesus, if you had been here, 
my brother wouldn't have died. Or using Pastor Troy's language from last week, Jesus, if only, and you're probably going through one of those if only moments right now. Jesus, if only you would X. That's what Mary and Martha are going through. When Jesus says to the crowd, you know what? Hey, y'all roll that, that stone away. And Martha gets a bit embarrassed and says, Lord, there's already a stench because he's been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. And then Jesus raised his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. Now, this is a prayer between Jesus and the Father, but it's a prayer out loud so that everybody around can hear this prayer. And in this prayer, now you know why Jesus delayed for four days. In fact, he heard about Lazarus being sick with plenty of time to get to him. And the Bible tells us that Jesus purposely waited four days. Even his disciples were like, Jesus, what's going on? You need to go see Lazarus. He waits four days, and now we know exactly why he waits four days. Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this, so that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus is about to do something so big, so bold, that no one standing by can possibly doubt who's standing in their midst. And you and I are going to continue to experience this difficult, sin-sick world until the creator of both cities, the heavenly city and the earthly city, until he comes back and fixes this mess in city number two that we live in. For those of you who are wondering, does the name of this church refer to Columbus, Georgia and Phoenix City, Alabama? Is that the two cities? No. It refers to the city of God where we are supposed to be and this broken city of man where we live right now. Until he comes back and fixes it, you and I are going to go through pain and suffering like Martha and Mary and that crowd around them. And Jesus goes through that pain right there with them, proving to you that he cares. Now, I used the word near just a moment ago, and the truth is, I use that word improperly, on purpose. You see, I have read stories of hundreds of Christians that have gone through intense suffering. I've read the books. I've heard personal accounts of many, many Christians that go through this incredible hardship. I've heard dozens of sermons on this, and they all say the exact same thing. When life was worst, Jesus was closest. That's the moment where I felt him more than I've ever felt him before, and I've ever felt him since. It was at the moment when I was hurting the most. And the truth is, the word near is kind of not used appropriately here. It's a lot like when you and I get up in the morning and we say that the sun rises, but the sun doesn't really move because it's stationary and it's the earth that's moving. So while we're here on this earth, it looks like the sun rises, but actually the sun is in the same place all the time. Have you made the connection, Christian? What I'm saying is it feels like God is a million miles away sometimes. But when you're suffering, 
that's the moment where you feel his presence. It's not that he came closer. It's not that he was farther away. It's the moment where all of the other distractions, all of the other things that have your attention, they're all burned away by suffering and you're left with nothing but you and Jesus. And I can give you hundreds of examples of Christians who said in the moment of my worst suffering, Jesus was more near to me there than at any other time in my life, any time before and any time since. The one who suffered for me on the cross was near to me when I was suffering and reminded me just how much he cares for me. The sermon is building to this last point, and I want to camp on this for just a second because our God is so good and our God is so big that he wouldn't possibly waste the suffering that you're going through. When suffering happens, and it's not like it's out of God's control and he's, he's forgot what he's supposed to be doing and not taking care of the world anymore. When suffering happens, it's God's way of proving this one point to us that I don't think we could learn any other way. I skipped a huge point of scripture between Pastor Troy's sermon last week and where I started today on purpose. Let's go back and hear this brief conversation between Martha and Jesus before Jesus gets there to the tomb, before he tells people to roll the stone back, before Jesus does what he does to end this story. If you were to go back in time with me just a couple of moments to John chapter 11, verse 21, here's the conversation, the moment that Jesus shows up. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Do you know what she's saying right here? Jesus, I know you have power over sickness. Yet even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give to you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Martha believes in eternal life. Martha just believes, I'm never ever going to see my brother again because he's dead and gone. I will see him one day in heaven. He is not coming back here. And Jesus is about to show something to her in the midst of intense suffering that I don't think she would realize any other way. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Anyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Jesus is referring to spiritual death right now. I have done away with spiritual death, and one day I'll do away with physical death. Everyone who believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And what you see in the Bible next is the clearest declaration up to this point in the Bible of anybody in the Bible about who's standing in front of them. Yes, Lord. Martha told him, I believe that you're the Messiah, the son of God who comes into the world. Look up here for just a second. Yet she has no idea who's standing in front of her at this point. All she believes is God sent his son. He has the power over sickness. He could have healed my brother if he would have showed up before my brother died. And I really do believe, Jesus, that you're the one who will raise people up on the last day. When 
people face suffering, when Christians face suffering, it usually goes down one of two ways. It hurts so bad that they can't stand the pain and they run from it. And unfortunately, Jesus is right there in the middle of the pain. So guess what happens, church, if you run from suffering while you're going through the pain? Guess who else you're running from when you run away from the pain? You can say his name out loud. You're running from Jesus when you run from suffering. And then there are some who choose to accept the suffering as God's way of getting your attention and maybe burning away some things in your life that don't need to be there. And he redeems suffering and shows you something about him that I am convinced you cannot learn any other way. If we wouldn't have got to this moment, I don't think Mary and Martha or the crowd around them would have an idea of how powerful Jesus is until we get to the moment that he's already dead and these woman, women are broken because of the loss and Jesus looks at the crowd and he tells them, hey, I want you to roll that stone away. Listen to how the story ends. We're going to jump forward in time now to verse 43. After Jesus prayed, Father, I, I waited four days so that this crowd would know who's standing in their midst. He shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And literally what he said is, come out here, Lazarus. Come to me, Lazarus. And the dead man came out bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to the crowd, unwrap him and let him go. And this is a moment where if you're reading the Bible, you should be able to shout out hallelujah because of who's standing in their midst. Jesus calls out to the dead and the dead man comes back to him. Jesus calls the dead to him and the dead come to life and come to Jesus. And I'm saying this to you because for 2,000 years, Jesus has been calling out to dead men and women, come out of that sin, come out of your sickness, come out of your self-worship. Uh, I want you to come to me. And dead men and women have been coming out of the grave, their dead souls made alive and coming to him for 2,000 years ever since this moment. This is the moment that Mary and Martha and the crowd around them realize who's really standing in their midst. Yeah, Jesus, I know that you're the son of God. I know that you've got the power to heal sickness, but I didn't think you had the power to call the dead back to life. And only through this intense suffering are they able to see who Jesus really is. I've been holding you on the edge of your seat if you've been following along with me on purpose because I've been trying to get you to wonder in the back of your mind, what's this one thing, Jeff, that suffering shows that maybe I can't realize any other way? Are you ready for it? Okay, I, I, thank you. Yes. Thank you very much. Yes. All right, here it is. Brace yourself for this profound theological truth. The one thing that suffering proves to you that I'm not sure mere mortals can learn any other way is that you're not God. 
And you're laughing right now because intellectually and spiritually, all of us in this room, everybody who's watching says, I know I'm not God, Jeff. I know I can't call the dead back to life. I can't do anything about tornadoes that just ravaged through the state of Iowa. I can't stop Russia from going to war in the Ukraine. Everybody knows that intellectually. I hope you didn't miss what I was really trying to convince you. I'm not saying you're not God of the universe. Suffering reminds Christians you're not the God of your own life. And no human being in their right mind would willingly choose to go through the kind of suffering that Mary and Martha are going through. But suffering reminds us I'm not in control. I don't call the shots. I would never willingly go through what these ladies are going through. But maybe God is bringing me through it because he wants to show himself to me in a powerful way in the middle of that suffering. And maybe I can't learn it any other way. You see, intellectually, we all know we're not God of our own lives. But I'm afraid spiritually, sometimes we start to step back in. And we start to take control and we start to push Jesus off of the throne and say, you know what? I think I'll make the decisions. I think I'll call the shots. I think I'll decide what I'm going to do next. And suffering is the moment where you're thrust on your knees and forced to admit, I'm not in control. I'm not in control of the world. I'm not even in control of my life. And I have no choice but to lay it down at the feet, desperately hurting at the feet of the son of suffering and trust him with it. The one who Hebrews says suffered in all points like we are, tempted in every possible way that a human will ever be tempted and did it without sin. Isaiah 53 describes him as crushed and abused and bruised and broken for our sins. That's the son of suffering who meets you right in the middle of your problems and says, even when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, fear no evil because I'll be with you. I'll be with you right in the middle of that valley. And suffering, the powerful lesson, the painful lesson that suffering teaches is that I'm not in charge, not even in charge of my own life. I'm about to say something next. That's going to hurt some people's feelings, but it's true. Suffering is the just punishment for sin. Genesis chapter 3 said, Adam, because you've sinned, you're going to suffer. The world itself is now broken, and all of your descendants are going to suffer. Adam, this is the penalty for sin. And none of us would willingly choose suffering. But suffering is the just penalty for sin. But for the Christian, you don't have to go through eternal suffering. You see, the father has already laid the full weight of your sin on his son. And he has paid that penalty for you on the cross. So you have nothing left to pay. Literally, the Bible uses this language. It is finished. It is paid in full by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. But I hope you're hearing me right now. If you're watching this from home, if you are not a Christian, you will experience the full weight of your sin, suffer for it 
for uh, eternity. And I want to challenge you. I want to beg you, please don't play games with eternity. Don't go through an eternal separation from God because you rejected him here. In fact, I want to place a couple of challenges before God's people. Maybe you're suffering right now. In just a moment, I'm going to pray for you. Maybe what you need is a group of people to come alongside you and to lift you up. We call that group a life group around here. And I'm going to pray for you, but I want to encourage you to get connected with a group of believers in our church. Maybe you're the person that needs to surrender your soul and surrender yourself because you've been living on the throne and not Jesus, the throne of your own heart. In just a moment, I'm going to pray for you. But for every Christian in this room, I pray that you would be able to say, I will hold on to Jesus. I know he's near, and I'm going to hold on to him right in the middle of my most difficult days. Will you bow your heads? Will you let me pray for you? And will you just open your heart up to the son of suffering right now? Father, you and you alone know who's watching this broadcast and exactly what's going on in the hearts of the people in this room and the people at home. And God, I really hope that you've spoken to somebody today and reminded them just because it hurts, it doesn't mean that you're mad at them. It doesn't mean that you're not on the throne. It just simply means that you will use suffering. You will not even um, miss the opportunity to use suffering for our good and for your glory. So will you help Christians, those that have been bought by the blood of Jesus, to say, I'm going to hold on to Jesus no matter how bad it gets. And maybe for some of them that are not connected with other believers, they would reach out and say, I need other believers around me. I need a group, a life group of people around me because I'm hurting right now. But Father, my real hope is that somebody who's watching this broadcast who has never surrendered body and soul, future, everything over to Jesus, will just simply turn it over to him in a prayer and say, Jesus, I really believe that you do have the power to call the dead back to life. And I feel it in my heart. I'm dead inside and I can't fix it. So I need you, Jesus, to do a miracle inside my life right now. I need you to fix my dead heart. And Jesus, I'm turning from my sins. I've got nothing to offer you but mistakes and failures. But I'm turning to you for the first time. And I'm asking you, would you forgive me? Would you clean me? Would you heal me? And I'm praying this from a sincere heart. God, I know that if that prayer comes from a heart of sincerity, that you hear it, that you honor it, and that you will meet somebody right now. So, Father, I just pray that you will work in ways that only you can. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to stay in touch by joining our email list through the link in the show notes. Have a great week.